Hi, my name is Margaret, a very grateful Al-Anon. And uh, I want to introduce to you Hannah. Um, we go back a long way. Well, actually, her mother and I have been friends forever and ever. And um, some years back, because of our husband's professions, we began meeting at uh, conventions and things in Austin, and it was really great to make that connection. And then a few more years went by, and we realized that we were both Al-Anon members. And it was wonderful in these other meetings to have an Al-Anon to talk to when things got out of hand or whatever. And um, Hannah is a person who can talk Al-Anon very, very well. And not only that, but she walks the walk, too. And at times, she puts in a little dance step. Let <laughs> me give you Hannah. Hi, y'all. Um, I'm Hannah, and I'm from Austin, Texas. Um, and I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon, and I'm a very appreciative um, of AA. And um, so I was honored that I was asked to come and tell my story. And a long time ago, <clears throat> my sponsor told me whenever someone asks you, to tell your story, you say yes. And um, so that's what I'm here to do. And um, I would like to start with a moment of silence and do the serenity prayer. It just helps me to get centered. So... God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, <laughs> now I feel like I'm in a meeting. Um, let's see. Oh, gosh, Kathy called me to come do this, and I was thinking, I, I told my story last uh, August, and um, there was this big meeting in San Antonio, and I was help him put it on like these people have done. And um, right before I left Austin, I was on my way down to San Antonio with all my stuff. I decided that I should go by and have some fake eyelashes put on. <laughs> Dumb idea, because I got there, and I looked like I had the symbol of Alan on butterflies on both my eyes, and I couldn't get them off. So... Um, I didn't put any fake eyelashes on for this talk. I just come like I am. Uh, so, and the only way I know to tell my story is, you know, kind of go through the years of how, it, you know, how it was, what ha has happened, and how it is today. Um, I was born in Galveston. My dad um, and mom uh, had gone to school there, and my dad was doing his um, residency in um, psychiatry, and um, and so I was born there, and then he finished that, and we moved to Corpus. So I grew up in Corpus, um, and um, I was the second child. Um, there were four kids, and I was the only girl. And, um, you know, I... 
we had a, I didn't have anything to compare my childhood to, but, um, you know, my, we, we had a, a fairly, what I thought was a normal household and, um, and it was fun. We took family vacations and all those kind of things that, you know, we see on TV on leave it to beaver or whatever. And, um, Things just went along, and then I guess my first memory of any kind of alcohol or anything was um, I had a um, my godmother who was kind of like a grandmother because my mother didn't have uh, parents, and so my godmother um, came, would come and stay with us. And um, I know today that my godmother was a, a very bad, I mean, she had alcoholism in a really bad way. And um, I loved her very much. But she would come, and we had a guest room downstairs, and she would stay in the guest room, and she would just be snockers. And I remember having my friends come over, and I was so excited that my godmother had come to visit. And... Um, and feeling, um, she was so wasted, and I felt, um, I felt embarrassed and ashamed that my godmother was uh, drunk. And what I would do, and I learned to do this early, and I've done it most all my life, is I would like, um, instead of just saying I felt embarrassed or ashamed, I would try to make it like funny or do something else to change that feeling because I was so uncomfortable with it. Um, then I got, you know, I'm not going to, since I'm 57 years old, this is going to take a while, so I don't want to spend too much time on this childhood stuff. But uh, I got, in fifth grade, my dad um, had encephalitis, and he was very, very ill, and um, he wasn't expected to live, and it really changed the dynamics in my family. My my oldest brother was in seventh grade. I was in fifth grade. So we were getting ready to be adolescents, teenagers. And um, so that was a pretty big deal. Um, and, um, and then by seventh grade, I, you know, was boy crazy. I started, I was very outspoken rebellious and I um I remember like um getting getting on the back of a motorcycle with this guy skipping the dance and going for a ride on this motorcycle and getting kicked off the student council because of bad conduct and stuff like that so I was kind of you know doing my own thing and um then, let's see, well, at age 14, by 14, we were going to this place called the Admiralty Club. I don't know if any of y'all are from Corpus, but it was a big hangout. At, and so I remember I got drunk at 14. Now, I know this is an Al-Anon story, but i got to tell you, I was right there with, you know, I loved hanging out with people that drank and used drugs. And, um, and we were kind of all, uh, my family, the kids were real close, so we were kind of all doing that. And um, I have a brother, my brother that's uh, a year under me was also starting to experiment with, I don't even know what all, but he got heroin. 
at a very early age and was a very uh, quick to uh, become addicted. So um, I guess the point of that is that when when you're in a family with four kids and your parents are in the healthcare profession and they don't know what to do, they ha- my parents had this son who you know was a heroin addict. And they did, but they didn't know he was a heroin addict because of the denial and everything else that goes on. They just knew something was wrong with, with, with my brother. And so all the focus was on him and how to get him okay. And, um, and so the rest, the other three of us just kind of, you know, were not the focus or anything. And, um, I remember feeling, um, like, you know, it's really not fair that he gets all the focus on him. Um, so I remember thinking, I'm not going to do that when I grow up and have kids. I'm not going to just put all the focus on one kid. Okay, very judgmental early. So um, <laughs> then, um, so let's skip. I went, you know, I graduated from high school, and then, um, and I was very um, spoiled, um, my parents were um, able to provide opportunities for me, and they were like, where are you going to go to college? And so I picked a college way away. I went to Boston. And um, and then um, I dropped out the second semester. I didn't really want to be in college, and but I didn't tell my parents, you know, th- that kind of thing. And then, um, so it took me a while um, to... Um, figure out what I wanted to do. Finally, my dad said, listen, I'm not footing your bills anymore. If you don't go to school, then you need to get a job and, you know, support yourself. It took him a while, but he, he got there. So um, I decided to get serious about school. I moved back here to Corpus, went to um, Del Mar, and then I applied to nursing school in Galveston. So I got in nursing school in 1975, and it was shortly after, I'm not even sure if I was in school, but I met my husband um, who uh, there in Galveston, Butch. And so, um, oh, we just had a great time. We, we partied and we um, just, you know, were wild and free and had a lot of fun and then um I graduated I managed to graduate I was not a 4.0 student but I graduated and then I uh we got married in 1978 and uh he finished um, medical school and then we went we moved to a little town outside of Austin Elgin Texas and um then in 1980, we had our first um, child, um, and Vanessa, and and things were starting to really heat up there in the addiction thing. Um, we had Vanessa in 1980, and then in 1982 or 81, Butch's mom died in December, and then um, let's see. Then we had our second child, Shannon, in April the end of April, his dad, we had this birthday party for him in August. He was, he turned 70. And on September 8th, he died of 
um, alcoholism. And um, then a couple of days after that, uh, his grandmother died. So he lost three family members in that year, and we had a baby. And um, and then he said, um, I remember him coming high, or, you know, he was back from the funerals and everything, and he came in, or one morning I said, well, aren't you going to work? And he said, no, I'm going to quit that job. And I was like, you're going to quit that job? What? And uh, I remember feeling a lot of fear. I was really scared. We had two little kids. And he said, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that practice anymore. And I was like, okay. Now, I like to look good. And I did look good back then. I was young. But this did not look good to me. Like, how am I going to explain this, you know? How am I going to make this look good? And anyway, um, we sold all our stuff and we, we moved to Austin and Butch got a job working over in Austin and, um, moved the kids. And, and by now, his, now I know his addiction was really kicking in at that point, but I didn't know that. So I'm working really, really hard to make us look good, you know, and trying to get the trash can in on the right day and out on the right day and, you know, um, drive the right car and wear the right, just all this very superficial bullshit. But anyway, uh, that's where I was, very shallow. And um, then my brother shows up on our doorstep, and he had been in Thailand. And he weighed about 130 pounds. I mean, he was six, he was a tall man, and he, you know, he looked bad. He had a sarong on. That didn't look good at all in my neighborhood. (laughs) And uh, I was like, come on in because I don't want the neighbors to see you. But uh, (laughs) anyway, and so he needed needed help. He really did. And so I called my parents. I was very self-righteous, and I knew what everyone needed. So I called them up, and I told them, you know, he doesn't look good. He needs help right now. And so Butch and I, rent, we got a book, I'll Quit Tomorrow. And we decided to do an intervention on my brother. We didn't know anything about chemical dependency, anything. But anyway, so we did this intervention and got him into treatment. He actually went. And, and then we all went for the family program. I'm sure some of y'all have been to the family program. And... Um, <laughs> the thing is, while on our way there, my brother got kicked out of treatment. And so, but we had already arranged this in another state and we went. And, um, that's the first time that anyone ever told me that I might want to try Al-Anon. And I, you know, I really didn't think I had anything wrong with me. I really didn't. I thought, you know, if he, He's the one with the problem, I, I, you know, and I'm sure y'all have heard that before. But that I very much thought that and felt that. And what I didn't know about that whole process of what was going on was that my husband figured out that he was an addict when he read that book. And so he spent the next year trying to quit uh, to, to get himself sober. 
And, but I didn't know that was going on. I am like actively, you know, spinning the plates to keep everything going. And I have two little kids and I remember <laughs> at one point, uh, saying to him, you know, you should go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor about that nose of yours because <laughs> I thought, you know, he had a massive nose infection or something, and I just didn't get it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it works in a funny way. And um, let's see. Oh, the other thing, it was so crazy. That chaos, you know, was really building. The One of the funny things when I look back on it now, I am really wanting us to look good. We live in a affluent area, and people are, they look good, you know. They have big houses and they drive fancy cars and everything. So I decide that we're, I'm going to have a big birthday party for, uh, because my son and my husband and my daughter's birthdays are all within a two week time frame. And that I'm going to have this carnival in my cul-de-sac. And I didn't ask Butch or Vanessa or Shannon if they wanted this big carnival or anything. I just planned it and I got, I even got like a Ferris wheel and a merry-go-round, and I talked people into being um, uh, palm readers. I got all these booths. I got a couple of ponies and all this stuff and invited the whole Montessori school to come. And, you know, we had a margarita machine and a popcorn machine. And, I mean, it was insane. And because the... What was happening was the crazier the addiction was getting, the crazier I was. I mean, I was much crazier than than the addict, and um, and I and and my hairdresser happened to have a beautiful wedding dress. He had a wedding dress that I borrowed, <laughs> and I was um, the good princess from the north or wherever she was from, and, and I rented two clown costumes and. Butch was twiddly D and my mother was twiddly dumb and my dad said, No way am I putting those costumes on. <laughs> but anyway, it was, when I looked back, I was like, that is really crazy that they'd even put a clown costume on. So um shortly after that, um Butch on his <laughs> on his thirty-fifth birthday, he was really being a jerk by then. You know, he would not come home from work on time. He didn't mind me one bit. He didn't he didn't do anything I thought he should do. And sometimes he'd come home and he'd wake me up at, you know, one or two with a margarita. Or sometimes he'd tell me he was out looking for his bird dog or something. You know, he wasn't doing that. And um, so anyway, by his birthday, I decided that, you know, even though he was lesser than I was going to be nice and buy him some presents. Now, I really thought this. I thought, you know, he's really messed up, but I'm going to be nice and everything. And I came home from going to the sporting goods store or something, and he was sitting on the front porch, and he was crying. And I I said, you know, I immediately thought someone had died. And I said, oh, my gosh. And he said, no, I can't quit. And I said, quit what? And he said, well, I can't quit using drugs and alcohol. And I was like, oh, that's not so bad. (laughs) So 
<clears throat> he was, and he thought he was going to go to treatment in Louisiana where my brother had been. But I got on the phone and I called this guy that used to throw Valium to the seagulls in Galveston and I knew he had been in treatment and, and he, and he was alive. So I called him and he said, no, he should go to this place in Atlanta where they specialize in treating physicians and nurses and people in the healthcare. And I said, okay. And he said, and it's four months. I went, mm, I don't know about that part. So, Butch was willing to do anything. I just didn't tell him about the four-month part. So <laughs> we get there, and they, they send patients. Uh, back then, they would send a couple of patients <clears throat> who were in treatment to pick up whoever came. And so these two guys, and we're riding back to the treatment center, and he says, uh, Butch asked him, how long have you been here? And one of them says something like, nine months or something, and Butch his eyes were getting big and and then the other one said even longer and and then his eyes were really big and he said I'm here for the 28 day program and and I am like scared to death because I've lied by omission and I know he's finding out and maybe he's not going to go and you know all that and um and then they said they're in the 28 day program but we were like pulling into the treatment center by then and <laughs> and he went, and um, and then I came back to Austin, and um, and so I remember feeling really um, sh- a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, um, a lot of fear, you know, basic fear. All these people, you know, I haven't been honest with anyone about what's going on in our home. And I think I've been covering really well. I mean, I just had that carnival about a year ago. So um, <laughs> I decided, um, you know, that I would try out um, being honest when I went back for the family program and that um, I'd have these taxi drivers and I would say, you know, my husband's in treatment for drug and alcohol addiction and you know, they didn't go, oh, my gosh. They said, oh, yeah, you know, my uncle or my dad or my brother or, or my myself, I'm a friend of Bill's or whatever. And so I, that was my first, um, I guess that was my first attempt to be honest about what he was doing. I had no insight into me at that point. But anyway, and so he... Um, he stayed in treatment. I got um, two things um, besides my first attempt to be honest. Um, I went, um, I learned that, that it was a disease. That was very helpful to me because I was very, very angry at him for being, who you know, thinking that he, it was his problem. And I didn't real, I didn't know it was a disease. Even though I'd been to nursing school and everything, I never heard that. It was a disease. And the the other thing that I got was um, there was this Dr. Smith who was standing, he was giving a talk or something, and we were in an audience like this, big, lots of chairs, lots of people, and I had the, the kids there who were three and five years old. And um, I was a smart aleck, and I was mad. I was very angry. 
that I was at home with this three and five year old and my husband was off. When you drove into this treatment center, they had these guys with chef hats on and they had a tennis court and it looked pretty damn nice, you know? And, um, I had all the bills piling up and some poor me victim. And, um, and so I asked some smart, ridiculous question and, and this man said, I, little lady, I will have you know that I was in treatment with five guys and um, two of them are dead. One of them, we don't know where he is. And there are two of us that are sober today. And my three-year-old son got up and he was on one end of this row and I was down at the other. And he walked all the way around and came around and he tugged on my arm and he said mama is that man mad at you and I said no but it really took that much of a forceful um, confrontation for me to even begin to see that maybe I need to look at my own part Um, so but of course you know the way it goes you go home and um, I went to Al-Anon a little bit and I Saw this lady that I liked the way she looked, so I asked her if she'd be my sponsor when I was on the hike and bike trail because humility was not in me, my vocabulary. And uh, she said, we can give it a try. You know, she yelled as I went past her. And then my husband got out of treatment, and he came home, and he was really busy going to AA every night and, you know, all the time, and... I was not looking very good, and I was feeling pretty bad, and I thought, he's looking better than me. I better start, I better go to Al-Anon or something, because it's not fair. He leaves every night, and I have a three- and a five-year-old, and I'm stuck. So I went to meetings, and um, I don't know if I, you know, my heart, that's a bad reason to go. You know, I mean, I don't know if it's a bad reason, but it was my reason for going because he was looking better and I wasn't. It, my heart wasn't really sincere. And I I did um, work the steps, kind of. I, I still have my first, fourth step that my sponsor made me do, and I didn't have very much insight at all, but it was the best I could do. That's where I was. And then... Um, oh, I heard this message there. You need to get a life. I heard that from Tal, you know, when he was in treatment. I heard that man say, you need to get your own life. And I thought, well, I do. I need to get my own life. Had another kid, uh, my last kid in 1987. So my husband had been home about a year. And I started thinking, well, what kind of life should I get, you know? And I didn't know. I was totally absorbed in, in his life and in the kid's life. And so, oh, this is so crazy. I spent about seven years being into this. I was, I decided I was going to do a triathlon. And um, so I was jogging on the hike and bike trail, and you have a lot of time to think because you're, you know, going forever. And it was Easter time, and I had just dyed Easter eggs with my kids and mixed oil with the um, vinegar and hot water, and it makes the eggs look like marble. And so I had put these eggs in this glass thing and then uh, vase and then taken off to go run. 
And I was thinking about those eggshells, and I thought, you know, they're just too pretty to throw away. So I went home, and I took the eggshells, and I put them on some recycled cardboard. And now this is in the late 80s, you know, early 90s, I guess. And I made earrings, and women wore these big earrings back then out of these cracked eggshells on recycled paper. And I started a business, okay? And it was called uh, Poco Locos, Little Crazies. And I was mooey, mooey loco by the time I got through that business. And I, I really did just take off and, I mean, I would put cracked eggshells on everything. I took them to Fiesta in San Antonio and sold tons of them. I mean, drugged the whole family there. And, I mean, it was. It was some insane times. And uh, and then finally, um, I guess I'm going to see on my notes here. I think because this is really starts to run together. But in um, in 19, I don't know. In the nine, I, that went on for about six years. And then my kid. By then, my kids are my young. My son is in middle school, and my daughter's in high school. And I close the business and everything, and I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. Well, I have a lot of time on my hands. If I've been running this business and all this, and now I'm at home, and I start focusing on the kids, and I'm really focused on my daughter, who's the oldest, and whether or not she's, you know, drinking or using drugs and stuff. And my son that was in middle school, just it was like he hit me behind the knees because I was so focused on her. They're two years apart. And, you know, he um, he started, I guess he smoked cigarettes, you know, whatever. And um, so I had, you know, I was busy then because she was in high school and she was spending the night with so-and-so and he was here and he was having so-and-so spend the night. And then there was the younger one that I forgot to teach how to swim because I was so focused on this. And, um, and that went on and... Um, you know, there were a lot of fights and stuff because I couldn't control the situation and I, I was just nuts. And, you know, I, I think my husband was probably living at AA by then because, you know, how do you live with someone? An untreated Al-Anon, alligator, whatever. And, um, you know, because there's, they're so crazy. I was so crazy. Anyway, I don't know about if any of y'all, but I was so crazy. And I wasn't drinking. I was just crazy. And they, you know, my family didn't know what they were going to come home to. If I was going to be angry and, you know, they didn't know. So it was pretty um, bad. And uh, so my, what got me really back to Al-Anon was my son started getting arrested and things like that started happening. And um, <clears throat> his senior year, um, he went on a trip to Belize and he got arrested in Belize, and, and so my husband and I thought, well, maybe this isn't just experimental, you know, maybe there's more to it than just, you know, a little experimental drug use. And so we, um, now this is not treated Al-Anon, but we searched his room, and we found um, that he was growing pot in the walls, in between the walls. We followed this little thing and had a black light and bat guana and all this stuff, and... Um, so we kind of looked at each other and said, maybe this is a little more than just smoking a joint every now and then. And um, and so what we decided 
was that as soon as he graduated, we would make him go to treatment. That sounded pretty reasonable. Um, and he barely graduated. I mean, he was smoking pot and he couldn't get to school and that kind of thing. And, um, and then he did graduate and we shipped him off to treatment. And I, I mean, I guess that was a real pivotal point for me because I was in so much fear about everything that pertained to my child and I wanted to fix him, you know, so, wait, well, I wanted to fix him so bad. And I got to back up because um, the brother that was the heroin addict he went to treatment when uh, shortly after my husband did, and he got sober, and he did really well. Um, he was sober for 12 years, and he um, he relapsed, and he overdosed and died. And um, my that's the first person in my immediate family that um, died, and um, and it it was awful. It was awful. Um, you know, my parents, uh, you're not supposed to have to bury a child and, you know, just the whole thing. And um, so there was a lot, by the time my son's addiction had kicked in, I had a, a lot of fear, I mean, a lot of fear that my son was going to die like my brother. And it fear from, you know, when I'm in fear, I just look crazy. And um, so by the time we shipped him off to treatment, I mean, I was like, you know, we got to save him. I don't want him to die. Um, and um, he went, you know, because he really didn't have much choice. And, um, and so he went and he came back, and then he was still using, so then we had to kick him out of the house, and that was so scary for me. I, I, I was able to do that because I, he had sold a car after he came back from treatment and I thought he had money from that car. And so I thought, well, I'm going to kick him out, but he'll have enough money to get a place, you know, and everything. But what I didn't know is he had sent all that money to try to do some kind of drug deal or something and lost all of it. But I didn't know that, and, and it was so good I didn't because I probably wouldn't have been able to kick him out. And he went right down the street and got an apartment with a friend and and everything. And um, and I could not get to Al-Anon fast enough. I mean, I could not. That's the only place I could go in an Al-Anon room and sit for an hour and feel a little bit better. Um I cried and cried and cried. I went to, there are a lot of meetings. I'm so lucky. There's so many meetings in Austin, and I got to um, go to some that were small, and there were, you know, I could feel comfortable crying. And um, anyway, so I went to Al-Anon. He went down the street, and he didn't go to college. And I, I remember going to a luncheon, and all these women were talking about their kids being at Harvard and blah, 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 and my son was supposedly taking the sewage things off, and, you know, and I remember feeling a lot of shame, and, uh, but what I did was I, like she said, I could dance, and I would make you think that you would want your son working for the sewage company instead of going to Harvard, because (laughs) 
I, you know, that's how I, you know, that's how I was. And um, so that went on. Then he decided, uh, my son decided that he did want to go to college. He really did. And we were like, yes, and we'll, um, so we'll pay for you for college because we've paid for our daughter. And, uh, and he, he went down to college in San Marcos and I went down there and I fixed his apartment up and I put paintings and everything. I just did everything to make that. I bought steaks, potatoes, the whole thing. And he could have a girl over and barbecue and he lasted about two months and got arrested. And we went down there and we moved everything back. We didn't bail him out. He got somebody else to pay the bailout. But, you know, it was just insane. And, um, and so I'm all focused on him. My daughter, um, graduates from, um, college and she's been drinking the whole time, but I miss that, you know, because I'm so focused on this other kid. And she comes home, and she's dating this guy, and they ride around, and they mix cocktails in the truck and everything, and uh, her alcoholism was kicking in. And um, now my son's in trouble with legal issues, and I'm just going to Al-Anon everywhere I can, anytime I can, just trying to keep, keep, keep my head, my heart, you know, from being broken. And, um, and so... Uh, anyway, my daughter ends up getting sober in spite of, I did not do one thing to help her get sober, and she got sober. And, um, and my son, uh, kept spinning in his disease, and I guess a pivotal point for me was when I found, um, the syringe. I saw the syringe. I didn't see it until I saw it. But at that point, um, I knew um, for me, that I didn't want to do anything that helped him to kill himself. And it, I remember finding that syringe. I remember the fear. I could taste it. I could feel it in my stomach. Um, I couldn't even tell any other family members about that in the beginning because it was so fearful. I, I was just consumed by it. I don't know if y'all have ever felt fear like that, but it's not fun. And, um, and so we, um, we did, I did tell him, we did an intervention. I mean, you know, we just sent him to treatment anytime we could and anywhere we could. And often after he got arrested, we would rescue him by sending him to treatment. And, um, he just continued to spin out. And so, it, it all runs together, but let me see what year am I in. Like, <laughs> I was asking, oh my gosh, he, he, um, oh, I remember one time, you know, I would try to like get him all fixed up and then I'd go to bed. And then, you know, darn, they wouldn't be fixed up. They'd be out, you know, looking at green Martians in the front yard or whatever. And um, so he was supposed to leave to go to treat the last place that we sent him. He was supposed to leave that next morning, and um, he got arrested, darn, the night before. So anyway, we shipped him off. He, we got him out and shipped him off. And now this is, you know, another really 
thinking that I know what is better for someone else. I'm playing God. And I think that when he comes home from treatment that he should live with his sister who's sober. Poor girl, <laughs> you know. So he um, comes home and he moves in. And, you know, it just spiraled and spiraled. And she finally said, look, I just can't do this. I, it, it's just too hard. I can't live with him. And so um, we, you know, we just, we learned to release him. Um, and it, it, and so we did. And he ended up um, getting arrested again and um, having to, uh, to go to prison. And uh, when he got arrested, it was... Um, it was in January of um, 2007, and my dad um, was very ill in the hospital here, and my son was in jail in Austin waiting for his sentencing and stuff. And um, I would just drive from institution to institution back and forth because I would go visit my son. And... Um, and then he um, was in a, a facility out in, um, in Houston. He got, and, and I remember when we got the sentencing, uh, the day that he was sentenced, my husband and I, my best uh, girlfriend, who also has three sons, all addicts, and we did a lot of Al-Anon together and stuff, and her um, oldest son overdosed and died. And... I just, you know, I was like, I am so grateful that my son, I have a chance to still have my son in some way. And, you know, I would have never picked prison as being the way, but at that point, it it was okay with me. I knew where he was, and, um, you know, I, I mean, honestly, and I, I, I want to talk about, I don't want it all to be about them, but I couldn't be where I am if it weren't for them. And when he was in prison, I would drive back and forth. Every weekend I went by choice. I was no longer a victim because Al-Anon freed me of that. I know I have choices that I can make. And I drove there by choice to see him, and I, I sat and um, we sit out at these picnic tables, and we'd visit for two hours, and he was sober, and he could talk. And, you know, we had very uh, meaningful conversations. And to get there, I would listen to CDs. I'd listen to Sandy Beach, you know, and I'd listen to a lot of AA speakers and Al-Anon speakers and everything to get centered to be in that system and then when I left, I, I would cry and I would feel sad. And but I I was I was okay doing that. Um, the prison guards weren't very comfortable with me boohooing on the way out, but I was okay because I felt sad. And um, and you know if it and then I'd go to my my home meeting is at eight o'clock on Sunday nights in Austin, and it's an uh, Al-Anon parent meeting and. Uh, I'd come back and I'd go to my parent meeting, and um, I, you know, I have to say um, I do not feel shame or guilt today about what's happened. 
I, you know, I had the opportunity very recently to tell um, my son. I have uh, the youngest son is kind of an overachiever. The 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 sober the baby that was born when we were one year sober or something or he was, I don't know that I really was, but anyway, and he's an overachiever. He's on a full academic scholarship to this um, school in Florida. And um, I didn't have anything to do with that. I really didn't. I wasn't even there, really, a lot of the times. You know, I wasn't hovering over his homework or anything. He did that. He did that. And I wasn't responsible for where my son that went to prison, I didn't do that either. You know, that's between him and God, and so is this other thing, and so is my daughter. I am not the channel for that. And um, so I had the opportunity recently. My son um, served some time, served his time and got out, and, um, you know, we talk, and... Um, and I had the opportunity to tell him that, you know, I am every bit as proud of you for what you've been through as I am for my youngest son, you know, who's got looks really good on, you know, the surface. I said, you know, it's, it's really all about the ride along the way and how what we, you know, what we do, what I do with my opportunities. I mean, who ever thought that, you know, what's happened in my life would get me up here to speak to you? <laughs> you know, most people go, oh, my gosh. And um, and it's because of this program and working the steps. You know, I did get busy, and I worked the steps, and I've done my fourth step, and, and I found out that I had a few things that I could work on, and it didn't involve anyone else. Um, as far as, um, it wasn't really Butch's fault. <laughs> we always had this joke, oh, it's my fault. It's Butch's fault. It's Butch's fault, you know. And, um, and it wasn't, you know, I was who I was long before I had, I got married and had kids and everything else. I had these, the character defects. I had those long before all that this flared up in my life. They just got really, really wacky in the process. And um, I was thinking this morning, you know, when you get the opportunity to speak, you're like, go all over the place, like, you know, what do you want to say, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, for me, those character defects, um, you know, I don't know, they, they sometimes, um, they flare up. And, and, and I'm not really re- entirely ready to have God remove all my control. I'm not. I want to be able to go to the bathroom when I want to or, you know, whatever. But, but, or, you know, I don't want all of everything removed. And so they haven't been removed. But what I think happens for me is, is having, um, being willing to look at me and see where I am in relation to, like, whatever character defect is getting in the way of the channel from what I'm supposed to be doing. And 
And so sometimes it's just being, you know, seeing, oh, my gosh, I'm being so bossy today or whatever. And then I can just say, oh, no, I don't want to be bossy today. Could could you help me out here a little bit, you know? And just that awareness has helped to um is particularly in relationships with my family and um, the people closest. I'm the most real with the people that I live with and that I'm at home with. Um, as my circle goes out, um, you know, I probably wouldn't, I might boss you around, try to or something, but not like I do at home, you know. And um, so I'm very grateful um, to the program for that too, because it raises my awareness of how I am, and I just have so much that I need to do to take care of me that I don't really have a lot of time to focus on all those addicts anymore. Um, I started painting about, um, um, starting my fifth year of painting on canvases, and it's much better than cracked eggshells. Um, it's more contained, but it's still, I'm very prolific, so there's a lot of paintings around. But I love it so much, you know, and I feel so in the now when I'm doing that. And I feel so fortunate that I have things that I love to do. And I, um, because of the program, I've learned to kind of prioritize things that are important to me, and I have to keep it really simple. And so I just had three things that... Um, that I try to, and now I've narrowed it down to two. It's pretty much Al-Anon and painting. I used to have gardening in there, but I, you know, I just can't get out in the yard anymore, um, so, time-wise. And um, I guess my family is happy I came to the program. I know sometimes on Sunday nights, and it's getting close to the time for me to go to my meeting, I'll... Um, I'll think, you know, that old thinking, like, oh, I should stay home and be a good mom and a good wife. And they never tell me to stay home. <laughs> they never have. They're always like, aren't you going to your meeting? <laughs> and um, the other thing is, um, you know, the program has allowed me to have more honest relationships with the with my family. Um, my daughter, who's been sober now um, for a while, like five years, I think coming on six or something, and if I want to know the truth um, and I can't get someone in my Al-Anon program, um, she, she works a bunch of programs, and I'll call her. And, um, you know, recently I had a, I'm trying to think of the most recent obstacle. Um, I guess it's been a while, but... Not not a while since I've had obstacles, but this one in particular that I had a falling out with this girlfriend whose son overdosed, and and and, and so I wanted to write. She sent me a letter, and I was pissed. I wanted to write this letter, so I wrote this letter back and I showed it to my daughter, and I, she goes, "No, not yet," and uh, she kept doing that, you know. Like, no, not yet, you know, because it wasn't a kind and loving response. It was an angry ego, pride, you know, all those things that get in the way of being the person that 
that I want to be. And, and I just love it that she'll tell me the truth and be honest and feel comfortable enough to, to tell me the truth that I'm not going to bite her head off if she tells me the truth. And that's from the, that's from the program. Or I'll ask my husband in, in something and he'll say, mm, not yet, you know, or, um, and I think, you know, except when I ask him if I'm fat, he doesn't tell me yes, but because <laughs> he's smart. <laughs> but but basically, he tries to be as honest. And, you know, that's just such a gift that it's just addicting in itself to have that and, and have that experience because of the program. The most recent thing that happened, and I'm going to close, is... Um, Okay, everybody, we had the holidays. It was effing crazy at my house, okay? So uh, we're sitting at the dining room table. My mom's come from Corpus, and my husband's there. My son's gone to the dentist and gotten pain medication, which is not good. And um, my daughter's there in recovery, and her, her fiancé's in recovery, and my youngest son has just come back from being in Spain for six months. And he lived with a family that might have been normal, you know, like they had dinner at the same time and everything. And we're all sitting there. And it is just, it's awful. You know, it really is. Like my son is not doing well. And we're all looking at him. And he's looking at all of us. You know, that's not fun to have the focus on you all the time. And... um so I went, he got up, left the table. We're not enjoying dinner at all. It, it could have been any, you know, the best meal in the world. We're not enjoying it. And he stormed out, went downstairs, and I went down there, and I said, you know, we're just, I, I just love you so much. And I'm just concerned, you know. And a lot of buttons for me are pushed, but it's not your fault, these are my feelings, and I take responsibility for my feelings. And um, I just need to be honest with you that it scares me when you're taking pain pills, okay? So then I come back up. We got this cheesecake that my brother sent from New York, and we're going to all have some cheesecake. And we're sitting down. I've served the cheesecake. And I asked my daughter, I said, have you been honest with with your brother about what's going on? And she goes, yeah. You know, I told him, it's a button pusher for me. I just can't be around it. So then I go to her fiancé, who has just taken a bite of this cheesecake, and I ask him, and it is like stuck here. And he, he I mean, I could still see that cheesecake going up and down, up and down, <laughs> Am I going to get out of here? <laughs> because it scared him, you know. He he he's he hadn't been in the family that long and everything. And then my mother kicked into her untreated, never been to Al-Anon thing. And you know, I think he has a fever. And <laughs> and um, anyway, and finally, Butch and I just said, "Hey, we're going to go to bed." And then a couple of days after that, he goes to the ranch, and, and uh, he's back, coming back from Lamb Passes. Am I time up? I'll be quick. He he gets arrested. 
and they lose. Um, he has a Labrador retriever, and the uh, sheriff, they lose our dog while my son is going to jail. And um, so we're, like, beside ourselves, and we spent six days looking for Hondo, and on the sixth day, we um, found Hondo and got him back. And, you know, it's a miracle. And my son, um, you know, he's not in jail today that I know of, but I'm not in jail at all ever, irregardless of where I am. And I hope this reaches someone with something. But um, I thank you so much for the opportunity, the wonderful accommodations, the Cracker Jacks that I ate all of, and um, I hope... You have a great day. Thank you.